Open your Bibles with me to the book of Jude. Look at verse 3. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Go with me to the book of Titus. So you can see from verse 4, verse 3, that we are to earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered. All right? So there's, there's, there's one. Um, keep your place in Titus. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And then when, when you're there, look up at me, and I forgot to do my little introduction. We are doing Christianity 101 is our series. And this morning, we're going to look at what's the difference? What's the difference? Um, Remember that the foundation for this series is this statement. All religions are fundamentally the same. And we say, yes, they are fundamentally the same, except for what they teach about sin, salvation, heaven, hell, the nature of God, the nature of man, the nature of eternity, the nature of the church, members of the church. Other than that, they're exactly the same. And so we've been dealing with those subjects, and I've been telling you for a long time that we are going to get to the place where we're going to teach what the different re Christian religions teach, and then we're going to look at what the different cults teach, and we're also, Lord willing, going to look at what the major religions of the world teach, like Islam and Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism. We're going to try and cover that. Now, you know that you could spend the rest of your life studying what Taoism teaches, so obviously we can't do a systematic approach, but we're going to give an overview of what those things are, but we're not going to do that today. Today, what we want to look at is all of the Christian religions, the major Christian religions, how do they differ? What's the difference? What do we believe and what do these other churches believe? Now, look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. So that's the way that we have to approach this subject. In many cases, this morning, we're going to be talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to be talking about people we're going to be in heaven with. Amen? All right. But we need to understand what the differences are. Look at what it says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, we live in a time where people want unity at the cost of truth. We can't do that. Right? Um, so then look at the next verse. So we want unity in the bond of peace. Look at verse 4. Here's what the unity is around. There's one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So we're going to be looking at a bunch of different <laughs> religions today, but the Bible says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Is that what the Bible says or did I make it up? Is that what the Bible says? Yeah, that's what the Bible says. So why are there so many different religions in the world? We're going to see in their own words how, why that is. Now go with me to um, Titus. 
Titus chapter 1, and look at verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested His word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus... Mine own son after the common faith. Do you notice that again? The common faith. Do you see that? There's only one. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I thee in Crete that thou shouldest, look at what it says, set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife. Now, see, you, you start to see immediately when you actually read the words of Scripture, you start to see separation. Right? It's very tough for Joyce Myers to be the husband of one wife. All right? If any be blameless. Now, what is that blameless? It doesn't mean you're sinless. It means that if somebody brings a, an accusation against you, it can't stick because you live a holy life. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop, now that there, there are three words that describe the office of the pastor. The word bishop is the overseer. The word elder, that is that he knows God and knows his word, not a novice. And the word pastor, that's the, that's the, the part of his job where he feeds and protects the sheep. I'm trying to do all of that today. All right, so that feed and protect the sheep. I'm going to feed you now, and we're going to look at protecting you in the meeting after the service. Right? So I help to protect you physically, but I also... How many of you, that you really lose confidence when you think that I'm going to protect you physically? <laughs> right? You want someone much larger than me to do that. But I protect... The, so my job is to make sure that the church is safe physically, but also spiritually. So from false teaching, false doctrine. The word bishop here, that's just overseer. That's what the word means. All right. So it says, for a bishop must be blameless the, the, as the steward, that's a servant, right? The steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker. Now that word striker, that doesn't mean he hits you. It, it means that he's going to stop working. How many of you know preachers that don't work? Man, I can't take that. All right. Not given to filthy lucre. You're not in it for the money. But a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. Now look at what the verse 9 says. Holding fast the faithful word. Is the word faithful? The Bible is the word faithful. Amen. As he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. All right. Verse 10. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. So that is um, people that were wanting to mix the law of, of, the, of Judaism with Christianity. And verse 11, who we must respect and come together in meetings and pray for the success of their ministry. Can everybody read that out loud? Who's what? who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies, 
How about this? This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Look what it says in verse 16. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. So when it comes to this area of doctrine, the Bible reserves its strongest language for people that come into churches and teach false doctrine. The strongest language. Go to Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. Um, so I had planned to do this today, and with, with all of the, the hurt and the suffering and so many things going on, I, I wanted to shift to another direction and, and try and preach something that's in, encouraging. But here's the problem. A lot of folks who are going through trouble, they go to a place that does not have answers. We have the truth, and it's really important that we know what the difference is in all of these things. And there will be some hope that comes later. But, but I want you to see this. Look at verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. So let me define the word heresy. Heresy is using the Bible to teach something that's not true. Okay, you might want to write that down. Heresy is using the Bible to teach something that's not true. So there are some things that people teach from the Bible that aren't true, that that's not necessarily harmful. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but, you know, people teach things that it's, it just doesn't really matter in the long run. There are other things that send people to hell, that destroy people's lives, that steal their hope, that steal their joy. All right? So there are heresies, and then there are damnable heresies. All right, heresy is someone using the Bible to teach something that's not true. Damnable heresies are heresies that destroy people's lives and all of that. So look at verse Second Peter chapter two and verse one. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Now, that word, the way, will you mark that word way in your Bible? I don't have time to search it to show you this. But when you see the way, that's talking about the church. Now, it's not talking about that group over in New Knoxville. Okay. This is talking about the church. The Apostle Paul, he said he persecuted when he was Saul the way. The, the way. And so there, this is dealing with the church. You can trace that down. Maybe we can do it in another service. But it's really important that you need to know that because of false teachers, true churches are evil spoken of. How many of you know that that's true? Because of the way that, that preachers behave or that teachers behave and the foolishness that goes on in churches, churches like ours are evil spoken of. Um, so, I want some, some preliminary considerations. Um, first of all, so we're looking at what's the difference. 
considerations. Number one, people who love God and His Word differ or disagree on these things. When we start going through this sheet and these lists, you'll see that there are people who love the Lord, they love His Word, and they disagree with us on some of these things. Okay? People who disagree with us doctrinally, I'm sorry, people who agree with us doctrinally disagree with our position on ecclesiastical separation. Now, that's a big word. That's from the Greek word ekklesia, which is just church. So this is, that's the technical term for churches associating with other churches. There are people who agree with us on our doctrinal positions, but they don't think that you should separate from people who don't have those doctrinal positions or who would have... There's a whole lot of double negatives in that sentence, weren't there? They, they believe that, that separation from people who differ is not necessary. The Bible's very clear on that. The Bible says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? The Bible says, look at Romans chapter 16 and look at verse 17. So the book of Romans is all about doctrine, right? It just it establishes who we are, what we believe. So Romans 16, 17, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Mark them and avoid them. Who are we to do that? People who cause divisions over the doctrine that you've learned. So if someone... We are all for unity. I am willing to work with anyone who believes the Bible. If you don't believe and practice what the Bible says, we as a church, we're not going to associate with you. Okay? If they have a need, we'll try and help them. We, we protect them in a battle. We do anything we can. We, we protect their right to say what they say. All of those things, but we cannot cooperate with them in ministry because that is an endorsement of their false teaching. Okay? So we're going to mark and avoid those that, we, that, that hold to doctrines that are different than the Scriptures. Um, I, I do want to make a comment on this as well. People who agree with us doctrinally disagree with our position on ecclesiastical separation. One of the things that we have to be careful of is don't let your own personality um, define the way ministry is supposed to be done. All right? There are some people that would never fight over anything. They just wouldn't do it. Well, that's okay, and I'm glad you have people in the culture that will protect you, right? But those aren't the people that you want on the wall when the enemy comes, right? You want people that are willing to fight. And there are reasons for us to stand on these things. So you need to open up your mind to the truth of the Scriptures on these things and um, try not to be more loving than God. Right? All right. Man, it's really quiet in here. I think everybody's afraid that I'm about to, you know, show heresy or something. Okay. A denomination's original teachings may not be the same today. Um, so there are foundational teachings that were established when some of these churches started, but the churches today don't hold to those teachings. You all know that that's the case, right? Many of you left churches like that to come here. Um, some denominations have a wide disparity of views in their local congregations. So there are, let, let's use the Lutheran church, for example, there are individual Lutheran congregations that preach the gospel, win souls, teach the Bible, sound biblically. You know, they're off on some local, on some church doctrine things, or they wouldn't be Lutheran. But 
it, it, it's, they, they are, they're, they're preaching the gospel. They're saved just like us. They love the word of God just like we do. All right. But you're going to see that the Lutheran church as a whole is not there. All right. So when I describe what it, see, I'm going to use their own statements from their own literature and you have it in your hands. And, and so what, the statements that they make, don't get mad at me because I print what they print. Okay. Is that fair? Okay. Um, then we should approach this topic with one primary objective. What is the truth? Because tr- truth is when you stand with the truth, you're always safe. And then we should approach this topic with one primary authority, and that's the Word of God. It's not what a particular church tradition teaches that matters. It's what the Bible says. That's what is our authority. And so, now, obviously, how many of you know that other churches disagree with that statement? <laughs> all right? I can't help that. I'm just saying we're looking at all of this. What's the difference between Baptists, independent, Bible-believing Baptists, and all of these other groups? I probably ought to do a message on what's the difference in Baptists. Right? That'd be a really long sermon. But, but we as independent, Bible-believing Baptists, this is how we would differ from these other churches. So what is a Christian denomination? To, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try and take five minutes and run through this material. So some of you have seen this before. Plug in, focus, because you're going to need to say this to somebody sometime. I'm going to run through this really quickly. If you haven't seen it before and I'm going too fast... Get the CD, okay? So let's, let's go as quick as I can. To be considered Christian, a church must hold some specific doctrines. And what this is from the discipleship lesson that I wrote on uh, Baptist distinctives. So the, all to be called Christian, you have to believe in the virgin birth. That is that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. That the deity, that's that he is God, the deity of Christ, that Jesus Christ is God. Then the Godhead, which is the Trinity. If you don't believe that they're the three in one, that's not, then you're no longer Christian. Okay. How many of you know people that call themselves Christians but don't believe in the Trinity? That's not Christian. That's not Christian. They might be wonderful people, but they're not a part of a Christian church. They're part of a cult. All right. Then, Christ's vicarious atonement. That means his substitution. Christ's vicarious atonement. This is the teaching that Jesus died on the cross in the place of the sinner. Are you glad Jesus paid your price? Amen. Amen. If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he did not rise spiritually, that that body that was put on the cross and put in the tomb, that very body rose from the dead and then ascended to the Father, and he is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us now. If you don't believe that, you're not a Christian. Now, I'm not saying you're not saved. You might be saved and then have given some things up or whatever. What I'm saying is you can't be called a Christian church if you don't believe that, okay? Salvation by grace through faith alone and not of works. Salvation by grace through faith alone and not of works. That's the only way you can get saved. How many of you know that a Christian is somebody who's saved? There are lots of people who call themselves Christians, and they're not. If you're not born again, you're not a Christian. You might agree with some Christian beliefs. You might belong to an organization that calls itself Christian. But if you believe that their salvation is in anything other than Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection, that's not Christian. Now, how many of you agree with that statement? Is that, is that a fair statement? So the idea that we are a Christian nation, well, that means everybody's saved. Come on. We might be a nation that's favorable toward Christianity, but the only way we can even be a Christian church is if every member of the church is saved. All right? And that's why that's one of our Baptist distinctives. All right? The visible return of Jesus Christ. Man, I'm glad he's coming back. Man, he needs to come back soon. Then, 
What, are the, what is a Baptist church? So a Christian church, to, to be a Christian church at all, you have to hold to those things. So there are a lot of the churches that we're going to look at today are Christian churches. Okay? Saved people, you know, they hold to those true things. Some of them, they're not. Um, so what's the difference between them and a Baptist? Who are we? What do we believe? Well, the Baptist distinctives are those biblical doctrines that when taught and obeyed in our churches mark us as distinct from any other Christian sect. All right? So let me go on. Baptist distinctives are those biblical doctrines we hold to that other denominations either neglect or distort. Some non-Baptist groups hold to one or more of our distinctives, but only a Baptist church holds to all of them. So this is how we're different. All of these doctrines that we hold together would separate us, make us different from these other churches. Now, this is really important. Some churches call themselves Baptist, but no longer believe the doctrines above, nor the Baptist distinctives. You know, especially in the American Baptist Convention. American Baptist churches, some of them don't, they don't believe in the virgin birth, the deity of Christ. They don't believe in those things. Isn't that horrible? They don't believe in those things. They think we're crazy. Well, we believe that they're wrong and we need to mark them and avoid them. All right? So while this type of church brings reproach on the Baptist name, it does not change what a genuine Baptist believes. Why is the name important? Because as you will see, the name identifies a body of doctrine as well as a method of ministry. So I'm going to go to a church called The Bridge. Okay, what does that church believe? It believes in spanning something. It believes in going from one place to another. It believes in tolls. (laughs) It doesn't tell you anything. Isn't that right? It doesn't define anything. It's not helpful. All right, so... Oh, wait a minute. I've got to read that. Why is the name important? Because, as you will see, the name identifies a body of doctrine as well as a method of ministry, both of which come directly from the pages of the Bible. All right. So the first of our distinctives is the Bible as our sole authority. We don't have outside creeds, confessions, or outside groups that tell us what to believe. The Bible is our only authority. And it's okay to say amen in here sometimes. Then the autonomy of the local church. There's no outside organization that tells this church what to do. We are self-governed, autonomy, self-governed. This church, we are, we are an individual, independent Baptist church, autonomy of the local church that's taught in the Scriptures with Jesus Christ as its head. The priesthood of the believer. So we don't need to go and confess our sins to a priest because Jesus Christ is our high priest. And then the Bible calls us priests. We can go directly to God for our needs and for the needs of others. Isn't that a blessing? The priesthood of the believer. You don't confess your sins to me. You can take your sins directly to the Lord Jesus Christ and He'll forgive them. Then two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And those two ordinances, they're not sacerdotal. You don't receive grace through these things. They're memorial. They teach. They identify. They protect. But Jesus Christ is not sacrificed every time we take the Lord's Supper. And baptism does not make you a member of of Jesus Christ's body. It doesn't do it. The Holy Spirit does that. Your baptism is a picture of that. All right? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. There's only two ordinances, and they're not sacraments. Then individual soul liberty. Because of the priesthood of the believer, individual soul liberty says we're all going to be given account to God. I can't give an account for you. You can't give an account for me. And I can't force you to believe anything. I try to persuade you, but I cannot make you believe anything. Individual soul liberty. It's between you and God what you believe. Then a saved church membership. A saved church membership. When you baptize a baby, that baby is not saved. It's like four people agree with that statement. When you baptize a baby, that baby is not saved. 
It's really important that we get that, but they do become a member of that church. And so you have an entire church body where people are not born again. All right, that's completely unbiblical. To be a member of Grace Baptist Church, you have to make a public profession of faith. You have to say, I am born again, and I am giving a testimony of that new birth and my identification with the doctrine of this church through my baptism by immersion. Save church membership. Then two offices, pastor and a deacon. There aren't metropolitans and bishops and archbishops and, you know, whatever. We don't have all the popes. Pastor and deacon, just two offices. And then separation of church and state. Because of individual soul liberty and the priesthood of the believer, you can't require anybody to believe anything. So when the state imposes a religion on someone, that violates their individual soul liberty. So we're completely against that. We're all for Christians being in government, but we're not for government mandating what someone believes or doesn't believe. All right? So those are the Baptist distinctives. That's who we are. So we believe all of those primary doctrines that are required to be a Christian... But on top of those, we hold to these Baptist distinctives. And you can see every one of them are clearly biblical. It's all straight from the Scriptures. We're just actually restating the Scriptures. Okay? So, what's the difference? What are the differences between the major Christian denominations? Let's look at that now. Get you, now you can look at your handout without the teacher slapping your hand with a ruler. Um, you'll notice, no, I stayed up until 1 o'clock this morning making this chart for you. So if there's a bunch of typos, it's because I'm terrible at that stuff. So notice the scripture at the top, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Earnestly contend for the faith. So what we're going to do, really simple, not a whole lot of preaching. You know, I don't know, it might come out in me periodically. But we're just going to look at who these people are what they believe, what they, what they state, and it'll just help us see some really significant issues. And I, this could have been 100 pages. So all I've done is just a few things to help you all know the differences. One of the reasons I want to do this is I, I had said that I was going to do it, but also, you know, we have a lot of our college students who are interacting with other Christians on campus and they're asking me questions. What do these folks believe? Who, what, what's going on with this? And I wanted to give them something to, to help them and all, all of us. All right? So let's so look at the top there. These are the groups that we're going to do. Baptist. And by Baptist, this is not every Baptist in the world. This is, this is our kind of Baptist, independent Bible-believing Baptist. Okay? Catholic, Greek Orthodox, Lutheran, or as Lord say, Lutheran. Um, that's Oklahoma, Lutheran. Then Presbyterian, Anglican, Episcopal. So that it's England or America. England says it's the same group. And then Methodist and Wesleyan. Now, um, Methodist and Wesleyan, basically the same doctrine, uh, but the, the, the Wesleyan, it would be the more conservative group in that, in that family. Okay, so you would have the... So, I think you got it. All right. So, date founded. So, Baptist started with Christ and the Apostles. Okay, so A.D. 33... And then the Catholics are on 400, Greek Orthodox, the Great Schism in 1054. Lutherans began with the Augsburg Confession in 1530, the Presbyterians in 1560. The Anglican Episcopal is 1534 with Henry VIII's Act, Act of Supremacy. That's where he wanted to divorce his wife. The Pope wouldn't let him, so he banished the Popes, the, 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 the Catholic priests, tore down the monasteries and the convents and declared himself to be the head of the church, supreme head of the church. Then um, 
the Wesleyan and Methodist groups started in 1787. So where founded for us, Jerusalem and Antioch, and then the Apostle Paul all over Asia Minor. And then um, the Catholic Church began in Rome, the Greek, or- Greek Orthodox in Constantinople. That's What city is that today? Istanbul in Turkey, but it was Constantinople. Now, I'm going to ask you a really difficult question that you've got to be quite the scholar to answer. Who do you think Constantinople was named after? Constantine. Good job, guys. All right, so Greek Orthodox. Then um, Lutheran Church started in Germany, the Presbyterians in Switzerland and Scotland. Isn't that an odd combination, Switzerland and Scotland? Uh, but that's where it started. And then the Anglicans in England and the, the Methodist Wesleyan also started in England. I'm going to do another message that's going to deal with the Pentecostal movement. So that's going to be Pentecostals, Oneness Pentecostals, Nazarenes, Church of God. Um, That needs to be its own message. But all of them came from the Methodists, all right? So that would come off of that, which came off of the uh, Anglicans, which came off the Catholics, um, which came off the Baptists. Then, (laughs) all right, so then look at the founders the founders, Jesus and the apostles, our faith. We, we practice the faith once. If that's for me, tell them I'm busy. All right. So the founders, Jesus and the apostles, um, the Catholic Church claims Peter, but actually it was Eusebius and Constantine the emperor. Eusebius was the bishop of Caesarea. Constantine was the emperor. And then Augustine was the theologian. Um, even the Catholic Church calls him the doctor and founder of the Catholic Church. Then the Greek Orthodox Michael uh, Cerulearius, he was, um, he was the bishop of Constantinople, and he wanted to be the head of the church. The Pope wanted to be the head of the church. And so that's where the separation, the Great Schism came. There are things like whether to use leavened bread or unleavened bread in the Eucharist, things like that. But ultimately, it was a power uh, struggle. And that's the great schism that took place in 1554, or sorry, 1054, and he was the leader. Lutherans were founded by uh, Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon. Luther, of course, everybody knows who Luther was. Melanchthon was the theologian. He was a, a linguistic scholar. He was about 10 years long, younger than Luther, and he's the one who wrote the Augsburg Confession that was endorsed by Luther. Then Presbyterians were founded by Zwingli and Beza in Zurich. So when Zwingli was killed in a war with the Catholics, Beza became the head of that church, the, the Grossmünster Cathedral there in, um, in Zurich. And then John Calvin in Geneva, John Knox in, uh, uh, in Scotland. Zwingli, Calvin, and Beza all killed people. I don't believe that Knox ever did. All right. Then uh, the Anglican Episcopal, that's Henry VIII, Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth, uh, Thomas Cromwell, Thomas Cramner, Hugh Latimer, and Nicholas Ridley. Latimer preached the heresy sermons at the burning of Baptists. A lot of people don't know that. And they would would have been happy for us to die. So it's really important that that you know that. How many of you have a problem with that? Right? We wouldn't do that to them. Wear your dress. I don't care. Um, Then John Wesley, of course, is the founder of the Methodists. All right? Worship guide. How do you know what to do in the church service? How do you know what to preach? How do you know how to pray? All right. What's our worship guide? It's the Bible. For the Catholic Church, it's the Roman Missal. The Greek Orthodox Church doesn't claim one. For the Lutherans, it's the Book of Concord. For the Presbyterian, the Directory for Worship. For the Anglican or Episcopal, it's the Book of Common Prayer and the 39 Articles. And then for the Methodist and Wesleyan, it's the Book of Discipline. Um, You start to see a little bit of distinction in the way that churches run when we say there's no outside influence on Grace Baptist Church that's authoritative, we mean that our authority is the Bible. 
We mean that. All right? Then church polity. That's our church government. So how do we function as a church? So for us, for Baptists, it's pastor-led congregational. So I would lead, I bring the business before the church, and I give direction to the church. Um, and then the whole church either approves or rejects it. And we, that's what we go on. So I'm not a slave to the church. I'm not required to do what the church says. Doctrinally, my, my allegiance is to the Scriptures. So someone might say, you work for us. No, I really don't. I, I serve the Lord, and, and I am your pastor, and I submit to you, you submit to me. That's the, so when you look at the book of Ephesians, we submit to each other. Is that right? But that concept of the bishop, the overseer, that is I just direct the ministry. But here's the power that the church has. If I direct the ministry in a, in a direction that's unbiblical, you can require me to leave. You have that authority. And it's a heavy authority. That's why the Bible says, against an elder, bring not a railing accusation except in the presence of two or three witnesses. It's really an important thing. And so here's the deal. You know, I just said I'm not a slave to the congregation. But with individual soul liberty, you're not slaves to me. You don't do anything I say. The teenager said, really? You do. Well, Cain, you. But the... Uh, that y'all don't have anything. Do you know what caning is? You need to look it up. If you don't know what caning is, you know, parents demonstrate caning for them later on today. Um, it's really a wonderful thing, the, the, the church government in an independent Baptist church. Now, how many of you have ever been in a Baptist church where it was abused? I have. It's terrible. It's a horrible thing. But when it, when it functions properly, I don't make any decisions without the counsel of, of the, the godly men in the church. And as far as bringing something up, business or whatever, any church member can come and say, Pastor, you know, what do you think about us doing this? And we can bring it before the church and all those things. It's, it's really, it is the most um, representative form of church government. It's really a blessing. Look, look at the next one. Catholic is Episcopal. That means that you have no say. You don't have any say at all. Um, so that's a hierarchy of the Pope and the bishops, and, and there's a hierarchy. All right? And then, so that Episcopal, that's from the Greek word episkopos, which is bishop. And so they take that oversight to mean that they can control everything that happens in the ministry. Um, the Greek Orthodox is Episcopal. Lutheran is Episcopal. Um, Presbyterian is Presbyterian. That's where the term comes from. <laughs> Isn't that funny? It's like, I always think of, of uh, Tony when I think of that. What, what language do they speak in Yap? Yapese. <laughs> I said, how do you count? In, uh, how do you say one, two, three in Yapese? He said, one, two, three. <laughs> but anyway... Um, Presbyterian form of government, the, the presbyter, that's the, the Greek word for elder. And so they have elder rule. And so the congregation doesn't really have much of a say. There's a group of elected people that control everything in the church. All right? That's, that's elder rule. Anglican, of course, is Episcopal. Methodist and Wesleyan is a little bit different. It's, look at that word, connectionalism. Connectionalism. And so in, in Methodism, they have a connection, and that's a particular group, and they put a bishop over that group, and um, that, that bishop assigns pastors to churches in that. And the church has no say over that. So the, the connectionalism is closer to Episcopal than it is to either Presbyterian or Congregational. Okay, pastor-led congregational. That's the church government. Um, any of you have been in a Methodist church and they took your pastor away from you? Right? That, that's, that's a problem. Um, well, I think unless you didn't like that guy, then it's okay. Um, so then creeds and confessions. Creed, a creed is, is an authoritative document. All right? That 
that rules the, the, the church. A confession is a statement of faith that a church might make. All right, creeds and confessions. The Baptists, for us, it's the New Testament. All right, and we are anti-creedalists. There is no creed that can define the Scriptures. There's no creed that can overrule or is as authoritative on the same level as Scripture. Is that fair? Statements of faith can be very helpful. Why do you believe what you believe? You know, we just did kind of a statement of faith with our Baptist distinctives. But all of it was just pointing to the Scriptures, okay? So, for the Catholic, their authority is the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Second Catechism. The Apostles' Creed. I'm always interested when um, evangelicals quote the Apostles' Creed and they talk about being a part of the Holy Catholic Church. And the problem is they mean something different by that than the Catholic Church does, but there's so much confusion in there. Maybe I can explain that sometime. But we would never agree to that. So the Nicene Creed and the Second Catechism. So that's their authority. Their authority is the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, and Catechism. Then for the Greek Orthodox, the Nicene Creed. For the Lutheran, the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Athanasian Creed, Augsburg Confession, the Formula of Concord. That's, that's what they hold to. Then Presbyterian, the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, and the Westminster Confession. That Westminster Confession of Faith, the people that disagreed with Westminster Confession of Faith were either banished, put in prison, or killed. Interesting. You need to get the other side of Calvinism by Lawrence Vance and look at the section on the Westminster Confession. Then the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed for the Anglicans, and the Methodist and Wesleyan, the Apostles' Creed, and the Nicene Creed. Do you notice a difference? What do you think is the difference between us and these other churches? That our creed is the New Testament. Our confession is the New Testament. Very important. All right, next. What is our sacred text? I'm going to do a message on the seven ecumenical creeds so that you can understand what I'm talking about. It's very difficult for... Let me just say this. The truth about that stuff has really been hidden from you. So I want to go through some of that for you. All right. So our sacred text, the Baptist, the Holy Bible, the Old and New Testaments. Amen? Amen. That's it. Is there anything else we hold sacred? No. No, no, no. For the Catholics, it's the Holy Bible, Old and New Testament, and the Apocrypha. All right. The Apocrypha are those 14 books that would be in between Malachi and Matthew in a Catholic Bible. Even the Catholic Church did not hold those to be true biblical books until the Council of Trent in the 1540s. All right, Greek Orthodox is the Old and New Testament and the Apocrypha. For the Lutheran, it's the Old New Testament. The Apocrypha is useful for reading and can help to increase one's faith. That's interesting, isn't it? Presbyterian would be the Old and New Testament. Anglicans, Old and New Testament, the Apocrypha for edification. Then tradition and reason assist interpretation. You see how they're hedging their bets there? Then look at um, the Wesleyan, Holy Bible, Old and New Testament, Wesleyan Methodist. All right? What about the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture? So let me explain those terms. The inspiration means that God breathed those words, that they're literally the words that God gave. Okay? They're not the words of men, that the words that were given by the Holy Ghost. Inerrancy means that they're perfect without error. Inerrancy, without error, they're perfect. So, Baptists, we believe in the verbal plenary inspiration. And absolutely inerrant. Let me explain that. That verbal, that's the words. We believe in the words. And then plenary, that's all of them. We believe that every word was given by God, every individual word, and all of those words together 
are completely inspired, completely perfect, inerrant. That's what we believe. All right, so here's Catholicism. The books of Scripture. Um, you know, let me, let me say this. So go back up to the, the sacred text. Do you see how Lutheran, the ELCA, that's the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. In um, the Anglican Church, that's the Episcopal Christian Church of the USA. Um, so th- these are their own statements. So here on the Catholic Church, under inspiration and errancy, this is from the Second Catechism. The books of Scripture firmly, faithfully, and without error teach that truth which God, for the sake of our salvation, which wished to see confided to the sacred scriptures. That's actually a pretty good statement. Now, look at the Greek Orthodox. There's, there, there's two statements here. God's inspiration is confined to the original languages and utterances, not the many translations. Now, a lot of people will say that. Hey, young people, I see some of you dozing off and get, get your outline and focus in on this because somebody's going to ask you a question on this. Look at... Um, a lot of people have this same statement that God's inspiration is confined to the original languages and utterances, not the many translations. The, the, the problem there is those original languages, those original words, those original manuscripts don't exist. So when you make this statement, you're saying, I believe in nothing. The other thing is, it's the words that were translated. I'm sorry, it's the words that were inspired, not the writers. The words were inspired. And so if you accurately translate an inspired word, you still have the inspired word. So that's a, that's a, fault, that's a faulty statement, all right? And the reason that the Greek Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox Church wants everything to be done in Greek. And so that's why they hold to that, all right? Now look at what it says. Very interesting underneath that. While the Bible is treasured as a valuable written record of God's revelation, it does not contain wholly that revelation. So you can find revelation from God in places other than the Bible. And that's simply not true, all right? But that's their position. Um, so look at the Lutheran. They believe it's inspired and inerrant. But then, the, so that the Lutheran, that LCMS, that's the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod. The, church, the Lutheran Church is divided into synods. The two major in, the, in America are the Missouri Synod and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. So the Evangelical Lutherans, inspired but not inerrant, they believe the Bible has mistakes in it. All right? Then Presbyterian, the Bible is inspired for... Now look at this. This is PCUSA, Presbyterian Church USA. The Bible is inspired, quote, For some, that means the Bible is inerrant. For others, it means that even though the Bible is culturally conditioned and not necessarily factual or even always true, it breathes with the life of God. Now, is that one of the craziest statements you've ever heard? So is the life of God full of factual errors? According to them, yes. So that's Presbyterian Church in America. All right, Episcopal, the Old and New Testament contain all things necessary for salvation. See, that's a different statement than completely inspired, completely true. It, it has what's necessary for salvation. Might have a bunch of other stuff, all right? You always have to look at what's not there. Then Wesleyan Methodist, inspired and in, in, inerrant in uh, original manuscripts and have been transmitted to the present without corruption of any essential doctrine. So they don't believe that we still actually have the words, but we have the essential doctrines. You see that that's what that statement is, right? All right. So in sources of doctrine, where do we get our teaching? Where do we get our instruction and what we believe? Remember what we say what doctrine is. It's God's truth in God's words. Doctrine is God's truth in God's words. It's what defines us. So this is one of our Baptist distinctives, sources of doctrine, the Bible as our sole authority. That's it. That's where we get all of our doctrine is from the Bible. 
Um, when you ask me what a doctrine is, I'm not going to say, well, Charles Spurgeon said. No, I'm going to say, what well, the Bible says this. And if Spurgeon agreed with that, great. If Spurgeon disagreed with it, he's wrong. Our authority is the Bible. All right? For the Catholic, here's their authority, sources of doctrine. Bible, church, fathers, popes, bishops, seven ecumenical councils, Trent, Vatican, and other Catholic councils. So the ecumenical councils, that would be uh, supposedly all Christians. The Catholic councils, obviously, that's just for Catholics, part of the Counter-Reformation. All right, then Greek Orthodox, the scriptures, both the Old and New Testaments, along with sacred apostolic tradition and the seven ecumenical councils. There are no church councils that are authoritative at Grace Baptist Church. All right, the Lutheran says the Bible alone. Amen. All right, Presbyterian, our standards of belief are to be found in the Bible and in the historic confession, in, in, in the church's historic confession of faith. That's the Church of Scotland, all right, um, which of course is Presbyterian. Then for the Anglican, the Scriptures and the Gospels, the Apostolic Church and the early Church Fathers are the foundation of Anglican faith and worship. Do you see when I keep talking about the Bible as our authority, how that makes us different from other churches? Do you see that? All right. Then um, look at what the, the United Methodist Church says. The Holy Scripture contains all things necessary to salvation. Man, there's so much more to the Bible than what is necessary to salvation. You see, that's, they're hedging their bets there. All right, then, what about salvation? How many think this is an important one? <laughs> All right, let's look at what they believe about salvation. Of course, we believe in sal that salvation is by grace through faith alone. The Catholic Church says that salvation is received at baptism, may be lost by mortal sin and regained by penance. Greek Orthodox. This is an interesting statement. The acceptance of Christ as the Savior through confession in Christ as the true God is the highest gift given to the believer by the Holy Spirit. Acceptance is his own choice through his own free will. This is why one is responsible for his own fate. It's actually a really good statement. It's a really good statement. The problem is that that gospel is so hidden in all the stuff that goes on at a Greek Orthodox church. All right? Lutheran. Faith in Christ is the only way for men to obtain personal reconciliation with God, that is, forgiveness of sins. So isn't that a good statement? That's that Missouri Synod statement. And I, and I mentioned, that's the group that, and they are, liberalism is coming into that group as well, but that's the group that, that for years preached the gospel. All right? Um, how about the Presbyterian Church? We are able to choose God because God first chose us. What kind of a statement is that? Um, <clears throat> can I ask you a question? If you were lost and you were looking for something about salvation, you can choose God because God chose you. You see, it's just, it's so weak. All right, Anglican, we are accounted righteous before God only for the merit of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by faith and not for our own works or deservings. Isn't that a good statement? See, what happened is you got the Reformation influence in the Anglican statements of faith. But in the rest of the teaching, it is completely obscured. Completely obscured. All right? Uh, Methodist and Wesleyan. Okay, United Methodist Church. We are counted righteous before God only for the merit of our Lord, Je Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by faith and not for our own works. Isn't that a good statement? And then the Wesleyan Church. The final destiny of each person is determined by God's grace. And that person's response evidenced inevitably by a moral character which results from that individual's personal and volitional choices. See, what you start to get into Wesleyanism is, is legalism. 
All right, so you're saved by faith, but if you cut your hair, you're not saved. If you wear makeup, you're not saved. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. You see, that's where they've got really good doctrine, but you start mixing other things in with it. All right, then look at um, eternal hell. Of course, we would affirm that. The Catholic Church affirms the chief punishment of hell is eternal separation from God. Greek Orthodox, it's affirmed. Lutheran, it's affirmed. Presbyterian, affirmed by some. In a 1996 Presbyterian panel survey, only 51% of members and 46% of pastors said they believed in hell. Presbyterian Church USA. All right. Then Anglicans, they believe in hell. And then in the Wesleyan Church, hell uh, affirmed, hell is with its everlasting misery and separation from God is the final abode of those who neglect God's great salvation. And that's a good statement. So... What I wanted you to see, and we can cover a lot of other things, but what you need to get is this. You can have a great statement on the gospel. What I don't have on here is their statement on baptism. Because in the Catholic Church, you are, your salvation comes through your baptism. In the Greek Orthodox Church, your salvation comes through your baptism. In the, the Lutheran church, baptism is required for salvation. We saw that two weeks ago. In the Anglican church, salvation comes through baptism. And it's always infants. They all believe in infant baptism. And Methodist and Wesleyan, even though Wesley believed that salvation came through baptism, the Methodist church didn't teach that, but they practice infant baptism, which confuses people about their salvation. Think about this. You ever ask somebody this? I'm, are you saved? Well, I was baptized when I was... You ever gotten that answer? I got it yesterday or day before. That, that's be, because there is such confusion about baptism. It's very important that we get this. So that's why these distinctives are vital. And just... I'm, I'm going to finish it with this. Number one, you must be born again. Right? doesn't matter what church you go to. No one has ever gone to heaven because they're a Baptist. You go to heaven because you've placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the things that I put in my introduction, just because a church has a right statement of faith, that doesn't mean that's the way the church practices. As a matter of fact, if you ever read um, The Purpose Driven Church by Rick Warren, he says, change what you do, but don't change your statement of faith. I think we call that liar, liar, pants on fire, right? And so we need to understand that just because a church has the right statement of faith on a particular doctrine, that doesn't mean that's the way that they practice. Greek Orthodox's Church on Salvation is fantastic. How many of you think that people at the Greek Orthodox Church understand that? They don't. They don't. And so it's very important that we understand why these things are these changes or these differences are important and i want to hit just a couple of the highlights and we'll go on number 1 our founder is jesus number 2 our worship god is the bible number 3 our church government is a pastor led congregation the creeds and confessions ours is the new testament we're anti creedalists our sacred text is the holy bible of the old and new testaments our view on inspiration and inerrancy of scripture is the verbal plenary inspiration and that the bible is absolutely inerrant the sources of doctrine the Bible is our sole authority. Salvation, salvation is by grace through faith alone, and the teaching of eternal hell is absolutely affirmed in our teaching. When you put all of that together, all of a sudden you see we are completely different from all of those other churches. 
Now, let me go back to what I said. How many of you know that there are saved people in those other churches? There, in many cases, there are brothers and sisters in Christ. But we've got to be very clear. What their church teaches on these things is wrong. It's wrong. Doesn't mean we hate them. I'm thankful for anybody that gets saved in any one of these denominations. But when you have a doctrinal statement that violates the Scriptures, we're supposed to mark them and avoid them. And see, that's why we're not ecumenical. Ecumenical is all different religions coming together. No, no, we'll... we'll listen, Jesus said He prayed... Look, look at John 17. Can we go there and be done with that? John 17. had a local preacher throw this verse at me one time. Verse 11, John 17, verse 11, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one. And so this man said to me, he said, you know, I told him why I didn't participate in certain things. And he said, but Jesus prayed that we would all be one. And I said to him, I looked him right in the eye and I said, yes, I believe that. But you've got to finish the verse. Look at what it says. That they may be one as we are. Did you know God the Father and God the Son don't disagree about the inerrancy of Scripture? They don't disagree about the virgin birth, the, the bodily resurrection, the vicarious atonement, the the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They don't disagree on what a church is. They don't disagree on baptism because it's given in the Scriptures. Remember what happened when Jesus Christ was baptized by immersion by John the Baptist? Jesus said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You see, God the Father and God the Son don't disagree on these things. So we can have wonderful unity and oneness with everyone that believes the Bible. I said I was going to finish with that. I lied. Let me finish with one other verse. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Christianity 101. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the what? The same thing. And that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Look, you know, we don't need to give up our Bible to go along with confessions or creeds. We don't need to give up believer's baptism to go along with something that's not found in Scripture. We don't need to give up eternal security to go along with people that don't believe that you're eternally saved. We don't need to give up our teaching on salvation by grace through faith alone to go along with people that think that you also have to combine good works so that you can go to heaven. You see, in order to be one with those people, we're always the ones that have to give up the truth. You hear what I'm saying? We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And it's just helpful for us to know what's the difference. Let's all stand together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, thank you that these subjects, they're not confusing.